The Six Components of Leadership Influence. You're listening to High Impact Influence, the podcast. Today is Friday, August the 6th, 2021. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. The website is growgreat.com. How do you elevate your performance so that you can add value to your team? How do you, as a leader, how do you make a bigger difference? Well, it's not about you, but it does begin with you because we've already defined leadership as influence, namely your influence. Yeah, but how? Well, there are six components of effective leadership influence, and I would encourage you not to look at these as a recipe. Instead, look at these as ingredients that you can use, well, that you must use, some perhaps more than others, depending on how you're wired. You must accurately, though, understand your natural talents, these things that come more easily for you. Don't discount these. By the way, this can be a horrific temptation to think that because it's easy, then it's not valuable. That's just not true. Sometimes these may be your default behaviors. You should not work hard to be something that you're not. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't put in the work to develop new skills. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to improve and to be better. That's what this podcast is really all about. It is about our growth, our development, our improvement. But it's not about us completely changing our stripes. We kind of are who we are. I've long used myself as an illustration. I'm an introvert. I'm not socially awkward. I'm not backward. I'm not bashful. I can look like an extrovert, but I'm an introvert because I know myself well enough. My energy is depleted if I'm around a big group of people. I can operate effectively and be in a big group of people, but it completely drains my battery. Now, that's me. As much as I have throughout my life sometimes wanted to be more of an extrovert, I'm just not. It's not one of those things where I can decide, you know what, if I go into a room with a big group of people, then that's going to give me energy. It's it's not a decision I can make. It just doesn't happen that way. My son, my son, who's a businessman, he's exactly the opposite. He can go in that room of 200, 300 people and be pumped up by the end of it. You, You have to just practically push me out of the room on a gurney right? So we are who we are. Our strengths can make the biggest difference in our effectiveness. So keep that in mind. All of these components are important, but they are not all equally weighted. And additionally, situations, circumstances are going to dictate which component might be most suitable, but we need to have all of these in our arsenal. Your ability to properly read your team individually and collectively and to assess the circumstance that you face, it's key. It is key to knowing how to deploy these components. Now, I'm intentionally putting each of these components in a verb form because I want to help you understand that these are action words. 
these are not some highbrow intellectual concepts. This isn't highly intellectual thinking. No, this is practical reality. These are everyday things. These are not scholarly ideas. These are not great things in some technical textbook. These are real world, everyday operational kind of things. And I'm intentionally going to start with one specific one because from it, all the others stem. And the first one is the verb connect, connect how we relate to people and how we foster their ability to relate to us is foundational to everything that we are about as leaders. Some leaders connect with political prowess. That is, they know how to work situations for their own end. Some leaders connect with candor. That is, they just, they don't pull any punches ever. Some connect with personality. They have this natural charisma that draws people in. Some leaders connect with compassion or a variety of other attributes that other people find engaging. Connections can be made by deploying any number of behaviors or styles or personalities. This is why there is no one size fits all when it comes to leaders. Because I can tell you that even tyranny, even tyranny can connect. Now, I don't advise it, but tyranny can work. History proves it. And history also can prove that it can stop working because people can connect to fear until maybe they decide to stop being afraid or until that fear no longer works for performance. And then the tyrants in trouble or soon will be. So I do not advise tyranny to be the point of connection. How can you, this is individual. How can you best connect with people, especially your team? And don't be shocked if you're not able to fully discover that by yourself. Insights from other people who know us can be enormously helpful. Unfortunately, too few people take advantage of those insights. Too few people go on a quest, on a mission to have people who know them well, help them figure out what is your best attribute to make a positive connection with other people. So I'm going to encourage you to seek out that help, seek out the help so that you can identify the most positive way that you can authentically connect with people. And then, you know, let's cross our fingers that tyranny isn't going to be your natural leaning. There are a few things that everybody is capable of when it comes to connection, honesty, integrity, doing the right thing, making things right, fairness, caring. Every human being can decide, I'm going to do those things. I'm going to be those things. And the strongest leaders commit themselves to those and to other principles of high character. And it's up to you. It's up to you to figure out how you can best connect with your team as a whole and how you can best connect with the individual members of the team. And yes, you must do both. Don't be tempted to think, oh, that's too hard. It's too much work. Yeah, this is work. This is the work. Ignore it and you will never influence higher performance. Next, train, educate. I kind of roll these up into the same thing. You know, leaders who simply just bark out orders or take care of daily business, they're a dime a dozen. And frankly, over time, they're very ineffective. Leadership is not about maintaining. Leadership is about growth and improvement. 
Leadership is about creating a high impact. It's about making a difference. And so leaders who train and educate, they address the big challenge of how, how teams and individuals are all wondering, how are we going to grow? How are we going to improve? How are we going to get to the next level? And leaders have to forge the way with some strategic answers. Now, don't confuse this training and education as addressing the specifics of all of the technical work that needs to be done. I mean, these are not training classrooms that I'm, I'm talking about. And nor am I talking really about the work, the work that is being done, the work that even needs to be done. It may be more accurate to describe this kind of training and education as providing your team with the why than the specific how because the why provides people with the how. Let me give you an example. A CEO might determine that customer service is paramount, and he may train and educate his team that a key barometer of how he measures the team's success is going to be how happy can we make our customers. The depth of the training and the specific nature of it, up to the leader, but by setting that expectation, by training, educating that expectation, well, the leader is doing the job, having good influence. You may decide that there are specific things that you want to be done in more precise ways. And it's not a problem. Train that, educate that. It's only a problem if you stay in that, what I call dirt on your boots area. You know, other people often refer to that as being in the weeds as a leader. And it varies the higher up you go in the organization. You can't afford to have boot, have dirt on your boots all the time, every day, all the time, high performing cultures instill proper training and education that ensures high accountability. This is really, really paramount when we think about training and education what this means is processes and systems, they are the foundation of this training and education. That is, things are not left to chance. Things aren't left to what I call legacy communication. You've experienced this. Legacy communication would be, oh, yeah, hey, remember, uh, you know, a month or two ago, I, I sent this email out. Oh, don't you remember that about three weeks ago we had this meeting and I talked a little bit about that? Yeah, that's legacy communication. You are not going to hear high-performing cultures talk about those kinds of things because that's not where their learning comes from. I'm not saying that meetings and mentions in meetings and emails are unimportant, but I'm saying that you cannot base your training and education on that. It is much more formalized than that. For instance, a CEO could say, well, you know, I sent that email out about us, you know, doing this and doing that. And well, that is a hard road to hoe when it comes to trying to shift your culture to a high performing culture, hard to hold people accountable as well, because here's what we're after. And here's why this element is so critical. This training and education part is so critical is high performing cultures and, and groups and teams have a high degree of accountability for delivering predictable results over and over and over again, sustainable, predictable results every time. 
Reason? Everybody follows the process. Everybody follows the system. The system can't be an email. The system can't be a mention in a meeting. It has to be more formalized than that. And as a leader, that's your job. Your job is to ensure that that training and that education so that everybody understands exactly what we must do. I've often likened it in the middle of the night when I can't sleep. I have a number of YouTube subscriptions to pilots. I don't know. I have no interest in learning to fly, but I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by the lingo. I'm intrigued by the level of detail. And you will see pilots. I'm talking about private pilots. Uh, There's one particular guy and he flies a twin engine Cessna he and his wife they're air traffic controllers up in Chicago and he does this YouTube channel and he's very entertaining but he goes through the checklist he's taken off in this plane and he's landed this plane who knows how many times but he's got this checklist and he goes through that checklist every single time without fail why well because he wants to take off successfully safely And he wants to land successfully and safely. So they do the same thing the same way every single time. You have to do that in your organization, and you have to lead that. If you don't have systems in place, you cannot have a high-performance culture, period. And if you lack processes, you will never achieve high levels of accountability. And now you know why I listed this second only behind connecting with people who need to be educated, who need to be trained so they can deliver superior performance. The next verb, persuade, persuade. Evidence-based leadership is based on data and facts and observable truths. Now, yes, there's plenty of room for intuition, you know, gut feel. And that intuition mostly is going to be useful to spark curiosity so that we can verify or nullify our gut feel. I'm a very intuitive person, but I leaned very, very hard into evidence-based leadership when I was young because my intuition is so strong. And I was driven by the fear that I might be wrong. Well, the way to overcome that, I thought, and truthfully so, I need to find evidence. Let's follow the evidence. Now, you got to be careful with this because one of the things that can bite us is We can have an intuition, we can have a gut feel, and then we're looking for evidence to back up our gut. Okay, well, don't do that. Follow the evidence to the best of your ability. That means you provide your team with compelling reasons to be persuaded, but you first have to be persuaded. Evidence-based leaders aren't attempting to get people to follow simply because I said so, right? Have you worked for anybody like that? Early in my career, I certainly did. You know, well, you just do it because I say to do it. Now, I'm not talking about being disrespectful to superiors. I'm not talking about being disrespectful to management or leadership. But the best leaders don't just simply bark out an order because I said so. They want people to learn. They want people to understand there's a reason behind this decision. There's a reason behind this action. And those reasons are logical and they are persuasive. Unpersuaded people do not high performers make. Our team members must be the first ones that we sell on what we are doing and what we aim to do. Now, the world calls it buy-in. I don't care. Call it whatever you want to call it, but it boils down to the same thing. 
leaders provide their teams with ample evidence to persuade them. We as leaders, we bear the responsibility to present the facts in a compelling way that is hard to refute. Even if our designed course is subjective in the sense that, okay, we, we could have gone with plan A, with plan B, with plan C, we can and we should explain we chose B, and here's why. Share those. Now, this involves another component that I do break out on its own, but it's real closely tied, and that verb is inform. Inform. In some instances, informing precedes persuading, but in most cases, it's kind of a context thing. It provides our team with a deeper understanding. Because I can tell you this, employees who are left in the dark, they are uninformed. And no, ignorance is not bliss. Now, that's not to say that we share every detail of every situation or circumstance. You and I both know that we can't do that. For starters, that's not in the best interest of our team. We are not best serving our team by sharing every gory detail of everything we know. It's just not helpful to burden them with information that will not help them perform better. But keeping our team in the dark and thinking that we have to shield them from information that can that can help them. It may be it can help them avoid false assumptions. It can help them avoid misinformation or worse. Listen, that is fully our responsibility as leaders. So the verb is inform. Next, inspire. Now, let me make a distinction between motivation and inspiration. You know, in the past few months, I've had a number of clients who have attended various conferences and seminars in person for the first time in over a year due to this pandemic. And these events, they often inspire attendees to do better. But you know, by the time next Tuesday rolls around, that inspiration is often long forgotten. Very rarely, I have attended, I, who knows how many events. Very, very rarely do such events produce lasting results. And maybe they're not even designed to do that. But many people go hoping to find some inspiration. The truth about inspiration is that it doesn't last. It doesn't last very long. We continue to need to get an inspiration fix. Motivation, on the other hand, motivation is the inner energy that we generate. It's the energy that you had to get out of bed this morning. It's the energy that you have to do anything. And it's up to us to provide that. It's up to us to manage it. Now, I'm not saying that we can't have help from other people who are close to us to better manage it. But our motivation is on us. What other people can do for us is inspiration. What we do for ourselves, that's motivation. Nobody can do it for you. It is your personal energy to accomplish something, anything. Have you ever had a teammate who you, you, ha you thought, man, they've got such potential. They just, there's just no traction. They just don't get the horsepower to the pavement. Yeah, we've all had people like that. Can you want it for them enough to change them? No, the answer is no, you can't. Some people just don't have the motivation. They just don't have the drive. We call them motivational speakers, but that's really not what they are. They're really inspirational speakers. And as a leader, we must inspire our team to higher performance. 
And like all the other components of influence that are mentioned here, inspiring others, it's an ongoing effort. You know, let's go back to connection. People don't just stay connected without any effort to connect. You've got connections with friends, even family. If you don't maintain those connections, they weaken. People don't remain trained or educated unless there is ongoing reinforcement and sometimes the need for new training, new education. People don't stay persuaded necessarily unless evidence is continually supplied to keep them persuaded. And the same goes for information because, well, things change, people change, circumstances change. And we have to continue to be informed of the changes. So it goes with inspiration. People continually are going to need new inspiration. Okay. But how, well, that's for you to decide that's for each leader to figure out, but there are some basic principles that I'd like you to consider. People are inspired by systems and processes that work. So developing those and training those that can serve to inspire. Can't tell you how many times I've, I've seen stories and I've read stories of people on the, on an assembly line, for instance, and every day they do this task, they do these repetitive things. And every day they ask, I, I don't know why we do it this way. This is, we could change this. We could change that. And things would be so much better, but nobody listens to these people. They're not inspired because the system and the process isn't one that they really believe in and they know it can be improved. And if it were improved, you think they would be more inspired? Of course they would. People are inspired by being in the know. So informing people that can be inspirational as well. People are inspired when they're persuaded that their work matters and when they better understand how their work contributes to the outcome. So inspiration isn't just some singular action. Inspiration is really wrapped up in all the many things that happen every day within your team. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about some rah-rah speech that you might deliver. You could, but not every leader rolls that way. A leader's ability to inspire is directly linked to the ability to connect to every individual and to the team collectively. Now, when I say individually, I realize that there are leaders who have thousands and thousands of people. And you're thinking, well, how can I connect to every one of them individually? You can do it exactly the same way that I attempt to do it in this podcast. I don't know every single person. I know, a, I know a good number of you, but I don't have any way of knowing, but I hope to connect with you. Yeah. You just you individually by the way that things operate here and by the way that I communicate. And as a leader, you need to try to do the same thing. So we're trying to, yes, we want to reach the whole and we want to reach every individual. We want to make this meaningful, but like many other leadership components, the ability to inspire is largely based on candid truthfulness. It's based on honesty. Mostly inspiration is about helping people better understand where they fit and how they make a positive difference. It's about giving them a story. I learned as a very young leader that if we do not give our team a good story, a story that shows them, here's how you fit. Here's how you make a contribution to our outcome. If we do not give them that true story, they will go home and they will create their own. And experience has taught me 
the story that they craft, it will not be good. They will go home and they will think, I don't matter. My work doesn't matter. People will gravitate to becoming a negative Nelly because they won't feel appreciated. They won't understand where they fit. They won't fully understand the context of how what they do matters. And so leaders who fail to provide that story fail to inspire their team. Do not minimize this verb, inspire, inspire. Lastly, the verb is entertain, entertain. Now, leaders don't have to be stand-up comics. In fact, it probably isn't going to be smart to be a st- If you're a stand-up comic, you probably should be a stand-up comic. However, having a good sense of humor, it helps. It connects us. But let me give you two words that likely exemplify this component. Happy, fun happy and fun. You know, a sullen demeanor isn't likely going to foster a high performing culture, nor is a person who can't or won't show enjoyment or an ability to have fun. Dower, it may work in the short term for some, but I would never bet on it for an intermediate or a long-term leadership strategy. Cause my experience has shown me dower does not work over the hall long haul sometimes being entertaining is simply being interesting and being interested in a word it's engaging so don't confuse entertaining with constant belly laughing at work think of it more as engaging but i'm going to stick with the term and the verb entertain because effective leaders need to be engaging in each of these activities Boring, that is a tough road to hoe. So don't be boring. When a leader entertains, a leader has the ability to pick moments where the team needs relief from tension. Or maybe she understands that, you know, now would be a good time to openly acknowledge some embarrassing outcome. Situations dictate the appropriate use of humor or fun. I know a lot of leaders like to schedule this. I personally am not a big fan, but you could be. And this is the great thing about leadership. There is no one size fits all. I know leaders that they like to schedule things and they have weekly schedules, sometimes monthly schedules where it's all about the team having fun. I was more bent toward blindsiding the team taking a look at where the tension was, taking a look at the situations, and if the situation warranted it, then I wanted to deploy humor and fun at the appropriate times. I personally in my leadership have not found that it was it's something that I felt comfortable scheduling because circumstances change. How can I be sure that Friday afternoon, if we're going to have balloons and confetti, and bring the pizza out that, okay, I mean, that may work for you. And if it does, then lean into it and do it. Be congruent with what's going on, but search for openings where you can entertain your team and you can show them your humanity. You know what this boils down to be human. Well, better said, be a good human, be a good human. And you know what? That's likely a great place to try to end this whole conversation.
We didn't dive deeply into any of these, and that was intentional. I want to encourage you to set aside some time, though, and to ponder each one of these. And as you do, please judge yourself as a leader. How well do you think you do at each one of these? And what might you be able to do to improve in these areas? And if you'll think about it enough, and if you will face the truth of where you currently are, and if you will decide to improve, you will figure it out. You will be able to find your path forward to high impact influence. As a leader, that's the job. You and I both know leadership is about influence. It's about doing for others what they can't do for themselves. I want you to figure it out, and I'm here to help. Be well, do good, grow great. That is the website, growgreat.com. My name is Randy Cantrell. Thanks for listening.